Who on Who? A podcast devoted to the review of classic series Doctor Who DVDs in no particular order. Dr. Phil here with David Huey, and we are sitting here chatting with Mr. Mark Ayers, composer for Doctor Who, as well as highly involved in many of the aspects of the Doctor Who restoration team, specifically the sound restoration. And welcome. It's great to chat with both of you guys today. Hello. Good. Yeah. Good Good, good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning, wherever you are in the world. Um, I'm completely lost track about who's in which time zone, but there you go. <laughs> So after your involvement in the original series, how did you become involved with um, the BBC for the video releases and, I guess, later the restoration team? How did that come into existence? Um, well, it's always said, I suppose, that um, everyone says it, that once you join the Doctor Who family, you never quite leave it. And uh, that is certainly true. Um, but I was... Friends with a lot of other fans at the time, and I still am. So when they started getting involved with other sort of Doctor Who related uh, enterprises, uh, they often asked me to to join them. And I had noticed that um, the BBC or BBC Worldwide were putting out audio books of early Doctor Who stories for which uh, the film prints no longer existed. And um, I, to be honest, felt they weren't very good. Um, Leaving aside the the way they were done editorially, purely technically, I knew that um, they weren't always getting the the best quality off-air soundtracks and they weren't processing them as well as they could be processed to get the best out of them. So at that stage, I actually wrote to... Uh, someone at uh, BBC Worldwide who shall remain nameless and said, look, you know, I I think maybe these could be done better and got a letter back saying, well, we're perfectly happy with them. Thank you very much. So I I put that to one side and then a little while later, and I can't remember which order these two things happened in, to be honest, Um, but there were two things happened. One, um, a chap called Steve Cole took over as head of Doctor Who, uh, basically head of all things Doctor Who at BBC Worldwide, and one of the things he wanted to do was to relaunch that range, because they'd stopped, because people didn't think they were very good, I think, largely. Um, He wanted to relaunch that range of audiobooks, and he was talking to a number of people, including uh, Sue Cowley, who went on to write scripts for them. And uh, she, I think, put him in touch with Steve Roberts, who in turn put him in touch with me as someone who was interested in sound, who was interested in 
in doing the audiobooks and, and perhaps, you know, well, not perhaps, but certainly in doing them better. And the other thing that happened was that uh, Steve had been experimenting with others on the recolouring of uh, Doctor Who's, which were originally made in colour, but for which the colour master videotapes had been lost. But they'd experimented with taking the black and white film prints, 16mm film prints, which had been made for international sale, and American off-air video recordings and combining the colour from the video recording with the black and white film print to make a new colour version. And they'd done that quite successfully with a, th uh, a few stories, um, The Demons and Terror of the Autons and The Silurians, I believe. And they were, they'd sort of got themselves involved with BBC Worldwide on that level. So when BBC Worldwide were then doing more Doctor Whos, which perhaps needed a little bit more work on them, uh, they went to them again and said, "Well, how, how can we how can we do this better?" Generally, and the first story they got their hands on was the War Machines, and again they said, "Well, look, okay, we're looking at the pictures. Why don't we also look at the sound?" And let's talk to Mark because he's interested in that as well. So there were those two things happened, and it was largely down to Steve Roberts and Co. and Steve Roberts and Paul Vanessis really, who were getting involved in that kind of thing and recommended bringing me on board on the sound side, and kind of the rest is history from there. Could I ask one technical question, which would probably just be for the benefit of our listeners? When the term off-air recording for audio or video is used, what does that refer to? Well, if it's a, um, a video recording, of course, it's someone with their VHS or, or Betamax uh, at home recording, uh, recording Doctor Who for their own personal use on their home video recorder. Um, as most of us as fans used to do, and, and indeed still do, although, of course, nowadays we're tempted to record it to um, to DVD or hard drives. But that's what we're talking about in terms of video recordings. In terms of audio recordings, um, we were very lucky that right from the very beginning, Doctor Who excited people as viewers enough to make them want to keep a copy in some way shape or form and of course way back in 1963 video recording domestic video recording certainly didn't exist so the only way that fans could do that was to use reel-to-reel -reel tape recorders audio tape recorders uh, to record the soundtracks and they did it in, in very basic ways generally by getting a, the, the microphone which came free with your tape recorder uh, pointing it in front of the television loudspeaker um, telling mum and dad and granny and the pets and brothers and sisters to, to shut up for 25 minutes while Doctor Who was on and recording it like that uh, but it does mean that we're extraordinary lu extraordinarily lucky where Doctor Who is concerned that even though Unluckily, we are missing a lot of original episodes in terms of their, their full films or, or tapes. We do have, astonishingly, audio recordings of every episode. Some of them, let's be honest, are pretty awful, but we do have them. And it, <laughs> it is something which amazes me, you know, it really does. There were people right from day one who thought, no, this is good, I'm going to record this. And we have recordings... Not that we've ever needed them, of course, because these episodes do exist, but we even have off-air recordings of the very first episode. That's how quickly people said, no, I, th this looks interesting, I think I'll record this, and they carried on doing it.
as the um, the world is is shrinking via Facebook and Twitter and uh, things like Skype, what we're talking over now and all that, has anything been uncovered uh, because of that? Because word has gotten out to geographically, you know, other places that you may not have been able to get to before. Um, oddly, not that I'm aware of. No, most of the things that have come back. Uh, that we we continue to find is via personal contacts it's via dogged perseverance it's by detective work if anything was going to be given back in terms of a film print for instance i i think the word has been out long enough that if someone's going to offer you stuff they will have already offered it by now because i think i think most people it's you you as you say, the world is getting smaller in terms of, of, of technology and communications. But the world of film collecting has been very, very small for a very, very long time. And those networks have been in place long before the Internet. And so I, I think if, if material was going to be found via that, it would already have been found. There are always exceptions. I mean, you know, we we got episode two of... Uh, the Daleks master plan back a couple of years ago, actually longer than a couple of years ago now, but that, that came back purely because someone had this film on their shelf and suddenly looked at it and said, you know, I really ought to find out if anybody wants that. Uh, and who knows, there may be other films just sitting on a shelf somewhere that nobody's noticed, but that's, that's very unlikely now, for instance, have to happen within the BBC because there's so much movement within the BBC as has happened really just in the last couple of years that if stuff was going to be found uh, you know dropped behind shelves or dropped behind filing cabinets it would have been found the, B- the entire BBC archive for instance has moved to new premises over the last two years so every tape every film has been removed from a shelf its label has been checked it has been put in a lorry it has been driven a few miles and it has been taken out and put back on a shelf and checked against the inventory again so that's not going to happen. BBC Pebble Mill has shut down, uh, and so BBC Birmingham has moved, and that was you know one place where stuff might have been. BBC Cardiff has moved. To entertain as an entity, because I know that there's probably some confusion on the internet in fandom. How does how did the restoration team move into being under the umbrella, working under the umbrella of To Entertain? And probably the biggest misconception I'm curious to find out about is, does everyone who works on all this wonderful stuff, the hard work you do, get paid for it? <laughs> yes, we do get paid. Um, we, we worked tight budgets. But the fact is, you know, I started this... Um, I started this really do it, contributing to these as a bit of a hobby. Uh, in the late 90s, as I say, when we started doing the audio books, when we did uh, uh, the War Machines, the idea was that my intention was always to have a career as a composer. That's what I always wanted to do. It's what I I, I still want to do. <laughs> um, and between composing jobs, I would do uh, a bit of Doctor Who audio restoration. And it uh, it would pay a little bit of pocket money. Fortunately, unfortunately, whichever way you look at it, it's actually become pretty much my full-time job because we stopped doing you know, one VHS release every couple of months. We're now doing a couple of DVD releases a month uh, in terms of production. Uh, 
So there's absolutely no way it could continue being a spare time thing or being a hobby. I had to make the decision, no, I was going to do this seriously. And, um, you know, I've got a mortgage to pay. I've got kids to to feed. um, So that's what I will do. So, of course, I get paid for it. I I couldn't afford to spend most of my time working on a a commercial product and not be paid. So, yes, of course, we all get paid. So that's, yes, I still see the occasional internet posting. Isn't it great? These guys do all this stuff for the love of it. Um, we go considerably the extra mile for the love of it, but we do get paid. When we started doing this, it was all through the uh, the ages of BBC Worldwide. And BBC Worldwide had a video arm and BBC Worldwide had an audiobooks arm. And that's the way we used to work. That's all changed. BBC Audiobooks, for instance, was spun off into a separate company. So I started working for a separate company doing the audiobooks. BBC Worldwide went into a joint venture operation with uh, with Woolworths, who were, up until a couple of years ago, a big retailer of entertainment, uh, uh, a big entertainment reta- retailer. Um, and they had a video arm called, if I remember, called VCL, and and or was it VCI? I can't remember. But, but, but BBC basically tied up with them to form a new joint venture company called To Entertain, which was therefore partly owned by BBC Worldwide and became the video production arm. So they had all the rights to to the Doctor Who catalogue in terms of video. So we started working for To Entertain. Since then, what has happened is uh, Woolworths has actually folded as a company, so the BBC now wholly owned to entertain, uh, so that the relationship has changed again. But when to entertain took over, we continued to work because they had a lot of the original staff. We just continued to work with them, and 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 we had a very, I mean, quite an arm's length relationship with them. They trusted us enormously. You know, we're gonna. What what do you think we should do on DVD next? So. Really, Steve Roberts and Paul Vanessis would make that decision, and they'd say, "Well, I think we ought to do this." So that would be agreed, and then they come to me and say, "Well, we're doing this," and off we go. We'd make the DVD. We'd coordinate between ourselves who was going to make, for instance, the making of. We'd record the commentary. We'd do all that. We'd deliver it. Part of the difference when To Entertain took over was they felt this was far too unstructured. And there was real, no real chain of command and no real answerability in what we were doing. And they were quite right. So uh, they brought Dan Hall on board as commissioning editor. So uh, suddenly our relationship with the range changed radically, I mean enormously, because no longer were we commissioning material. We carried on doing everything that we were doing in terms of, of the restoration which was our core business but it was then down to dan i mean he still talks to us uh, and asks us what we think but it was down to dan to 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 sort the schedule out and it was down to dan to work out what he wanted in terms of what he calls vam the value-added material and who should produce it so he brought a lot of other people on board that we didn't know that we'd never thought of uh to to widen the the pool of people who were who were producing uh, the documentaries and, and and the features on the discs and uh, so so that whole relationship changed a lot so it took a lot of the pressure off us was one considerable advantage of it it also means that we sort of don't own it as much as we used to which is 
which is good and bad um, as far as we're concerned, I suppose. But the whole relationship has changed very much. But it's, it is a far more professional way of doing things, undoubtedly, than, than the way we used to do it. If I may ask a quick question regarding the audiobooks, um, the uh, the quality on them is 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 great. I've got Power of the Daleks, which I absolutely love. If To Entertain ever decides to embrace, uh, they've recently you know announced that they're going to uh, animate the missing parts of the Reign of Terror. Absolutely, yeah. Similar to uh, what they did with Invasion. If they ever decide to embrace um, animating the rest of the remaining lost uh, lost adventures will they just use the same audio from the audiobooks or will you have to go back in and redoctor that and and all no pun intended but you know will you, will you have to go back in and and completely redo the audio or enhance it in any way or how would that work how can i answer this one um i'm involved with i'm i'm involved with reign of terror um, very, very closely involved with Reign of Terror. I'm acting as sort of associate producer to entertain on that. So, and I will be doing the audio on that. Okay. And I will be going back. I will be going back to the original audio masters and starting again, because it's quite a while since we did the audiobook of Reign of Terror, and I could do it better now. So I will. If if I'm involved, and of course I don't know what the future holds, but if I'm involved in any future animation project projects i will go back to the original audio materials and i will start again because there's no point in not doing so uh technology's improved uh my my abilities have improved in some cases we may have found a better quality copy of the original off-air recording so there's all sorts of considerations um and of course if we're doing animations uh they they won't have the narration on because they will be you know like invasion there will be proper visual reconstructions so it will be necessary to go back and and uh, and remaster those well that answer confirms for all of my listeners you know we've always said that that we are tremendously spoiled by the efforts of of to entertain to everything you know the love and the attention and everything they put into all the dvd releases and the classic series uh and your answer there just sort of confirms that you guys put 125 percent of effort into all of these things and uh you know in case there was ever any doubt out there for anybody uh you've just heard it you know right here no you know i'm a fan too and i want i want these these projects to be to be fantastic i want them to be as good as they possibly can and uh you know whilst we're involved and we're you know we're fans uh that that will always happen we'll always push the boat out we'll always try, try and do the best we can i mean even when we did the invasion on dvd soon after i think it was a year after we did the audiobook i went back and i started pretty much again because even in a year, I thought, no, I can do that better, and I could have just pulled the master off the shelf and and saved myself a hell of a lot of a hell of a lot of time. Sure, but uh, but no, you know, it, I, I always want it to be better. We all do. Which restorations that you've had to do would would account for probably your worst headaches or nightmares? Which ones have been your favorites? And which stories that haven't been released yet that you'll eventually work on are you really looking forward to working on? 
Well, as I said earlier, I, I, I tend to be thinking very much about what I'm doing now. So it's always hard to look back and say what was a particular achievement, what was particularly tricky. Some of the early black and white missing episodes that we did on audiobook were a complete nightmare. Um, there was, I think, an episode of... I think it was Celestial Toymaker, which just had static clicks from start to finish. And there was no software at the time which would cleanly take them out. So I probably spent a week on one 25-minute episode literally redrawing the waveform from start to finish, taking out probably about 10, 20 clicks a second. That probably is the closest I've come to being driven completely insane. <laughs> wow. But that, that, was, that was just sitting there with the mouse. Um, nowadays, of course, I've got fantastic software. So one's trading off. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, you still have to know how to use it. It still doesn't so, solve all problems. But I can go through now with spectral editing programs, for instance, and, and literally just affect one particular area of the waveform and I'll give you an example of that when we first did Talons of Wing Chiang on DVD there's a scene where the Doctor and Leela find Lee Sen Chang in the opium den and as the Doctor and Leela come into the den they're having a conversation which was post-synchronized in other words what happened during the studio recording something made a horrible creak or some other noise so they took it out and they got Tom Baker and Louise Jameson in t to re-read, re-perform just th the dialogue which they then laid over the pictures and they got the synchronization completely wrong. You can see Tom Baker's mouth moving, and then a few seconds later, literally, you hear what he's saying. It was completely wrong. It, it, it looks daft, and when we first did the DVD, I couldn't do it because it's over music. There's a music cue playing. So if I'd moved the, synch the, the dialogue so that it was in synchronization with his, his mouth the music moved and no longer made any sense at all. Um, Phil will know all about that. You, know, you can't just take out a, a bar out of a piece of music and move it, you know, five seconds previously and expect it still to make sense. It would have sounded like an appalling edit. When we did the Revisitations box set, uh, version of Town to Wing Chiang, technology has now moved on that I was actually able to go in and just move the dialogue and leave the music where it was. Wow. So... Um, that's a repair I made for the revisitations box set. But that, that's how technology has moved on. I can now go in, I can look at a waveform on the computer, and I can literally isolate individual sounds within it and move them out or remove them or change their volume levels or, or, or whatever, literally within a mix. So that, that, over the last few years, has been an enormous step forward in, in what it's possible to do. Well, and even with your the special edition versions with replaced special effects or special edition edits, like, say, for your story, Curse of Fenric, you get both the transmitted version and the new version. I think that's very mm -hmm. appeal, appealing to people on both sides of the argument. In a way, you get everything. Well, if we change anything artistically or in terms of performance, we offer it as an option. Um. And that's certainly more than most releases do. 
you know i i've just been i've just started watching uh twin peaks on dvd and it's beautiful it's beautifully graded the film prints have been uh nicely cleaned up it looks fabulous i'm really disappointed that the only soundtrack certainly on the uk release is a is a new 5.1 mix up mix and that the original mono mix isn't on there because uh, i would love to hear the original mono mix um but i can't i can only listen to the 5.1 mix we will never do that we always put the original mono mix on there if we're doing a 5.1 and it's always the default uh if you want to watch anything that we've done different our tamperings you always have to press a button you know if we've done a special edition if we've done a 5.1 mix if we've put alternative sound uh, alternative visual effects on there you have to push a button to get it that's one thing we will always do you know our, our little bit of self-indulgence in offering those things is always the option If you ask me what am I particularly proud of in terms of what we've been doing, um, there's a couple of things, I suppose. The rebuilds, um, Keys of Marinus, War Machines, and most recently Colony in Space. When we've come to master them for DVD, we've discovered bits missing. I mean, a couple of minutes from War Machines, just a few seconds from Keys of Marinus, and another few seconds from Colony in Space. But we've then done detective work and either found other copies of these few seconds of, of missing material and reinstated them or in the case of the war machines uh, the couple of minutes that's missing from that we've used the off-air soundtrack which we've blended into the film soundtrack so that it's seamless and then we've completely reinvented um, pictures to complete the story so I'm very proud of that. Uh, that really is true restoration, and it's immensely satisfying. Personally, uh, 5.1 mixes, they're always enormous fun to do because they really add something new uh, to an old story. And also the special editions, the, the couple that I've done, Curse of Fenric and, and Battlefield, which don't try to reinvent the programme but try to complete it. Uh, that's what I like to do with a special edition. I love going back to the script, going back to the material that was actually shot in the studio or on location, and the first edits that the director made before the programme, On in, in some cases, had to be cut very savagely to fit the 25-minute per episode time slot. So to go back to those original materials and complete the programme that was originally envisaged or complete the program as original as originally envisaged and put that out as an option as a bonus on a dvd um i really enjoyed doing that and i my my attitude is that i think that what fans want is is more doctor who and when you do something like a special edition that's exactly what you're giving them more doctor who and uh and as i say a new version alternative look at at, uh, at a classic so uh, really enjoy that looking forward I think the one title that I'm really looking forward to at this stage that we haven't um, haven't produced yet is Terror of the Zygons. Uh, uh, it's a fantastic story with a great soundtrack, which of course always interests me. And um, 
it's going to be enormous fun to do that. Now, what do you, would you say would be closing thoughts to about the role of the work you guys all do for the restoration team? And in general, would you say that the feedback's been mostly positive from fans? The, the feedback from fans is, is overwhelmingly positive, yes, and very supportive. Um, as soon as you take anything out of a library and start polishing it up, you're, you are liable to upset people. Um, the, 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 the way I look at it is this. I mean, I saw on a forum recently someone saying that what um, fans wanted, and obviously he was speaking for himself, but he said that what fans wanted was their own personal representation on DVD of what was stored in the BBC archive at, at Windmill Road. Um, to which I could be very facetious and, and say, well, actually... Um, the BBC archive isn't at Wilmore Road. It was moved from there last year. So um, if he wants a, if he wants his own little um, representation of the Wilmore Road archive, he's not going to have anything because it's not there. Um, but but that illustrates the point totally. It is an archive. It's constantly changing. It's constantly moving. What the BBC have now, what I have now, for, for my own material, is is very seldom what i originally made the bbc no longer own the original videotape videotape masters for any 1960s doctor who they don't exist we've got film prints film recordings even for doctor who from then onwards which was made on two inch and one inch videotape the bbc don't have the original masters they've all been backed up to d3 videotape and that's what we've got we've got copies now if you want a representation of what's in the BBC archive, what we do is we take a film print off the shelf, we tell us in it, and we put it out. We take a D3 cassette off the shelf, we transfer it, we put it out. That is, that is the historical record. If we say, well, the historical record is wrong, because, for instance... A film recording has lots of film grain on it, which wasn't on the original. It might have breaks in it. It will have off-locks picture-wise. It will have audio dropouts. Let's correct those. As soon as we do that, we are making decisions. We are having to make often very difficult decisions about is that actually a technical fault on the copy or was it on the original? And we have to make a decision on that. If we take, for instance, a D3 cassette of a, of a 1970s Doctor Who off the shelf and it's got quad banding all over it, which is burnt into the D3, that's where the, the picture as playback off the, uh, the, the quad two-inch video has broken up into its four bands. And so you get four stripes of pictures. We could say, well, that's a historical record. Let's put it out. We don't. We will either try and correct it or we will try and go back 
to see if the two-inch videotape still exists at the uh, um, the National Film Archive, get it out and retransfer it. So we are already tampering with the historical record, and we are having to make difficult decisions about how far we go with restorations and make a decision about whether that's something we're actually altering or tampering with or whether we're correcting a fault. So it's very, very difficult. We make those decisions every day, and I think most of the time, most of the time we get it right. Occasionally... I read something on a forum I think maybe has got a point. But most of the time, people are very supportive. Most of the time, I think, uh, I, I, I think, I think we've got it right. Well, the jobs you guys do are not easy ones. And so it, the amount of love and technical know-how, I mean, any, any, any person, and myself included, could make comments on any forum about a DVD release. But, you, you know, it'd, it'd be like someone who's a novice complaining about how someone who's an expert in their field you know, makes a decision. I mean, you guys have worked hard and and spent some years working on these projects. And so. Yeah, well, that's that's great. I mean, I mean, I think you know, I, I I've stopped reading the forums quite so much now. I have to say, compared to what I used to do, um, because I went through a period of finding them very depressing. But I do absolutely respect you know the opinions that I read. I, I, some, I sometimes find the way those opinions expressed rather difficult to take, but the opinions themselves absolutely fine. But when it comes down to it, you know, I'm paid to do a job, we're paid to do a job, and and we don't take any of the decisions we take in the way we present this stuff on DVD um, lightly at all. Uh, we work very hard at it. We talk about every 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 aspect of it a lot. There's constant conversations going on about what we should do, and uh, and we do take it very seriously. And we are fans, so you know we want to see the programmes um, treated with an enormous amount of respect as well. So uh, that that's what we try and do. Once the the range is in theory complete, do you think that um, some of the big conventions in the UK and in the US that you guys from the restoration team might be invited around so that folks can hear you relay your your stories and also hopefully take the well-deserved compliments that that you are owed for all of the time and and effort you've put in i don't know that's up to other people i mean if i'm invited to a to to a convention anywhere i'll always consider it i would have loved to have come to timegate i did go to gallifrey um a, a couple of years ago um you know, I know there are a number of major major conventions in the, in the U.S. And um, if they'd like me to come over, ask me. <laughs> I, I was at that Gallifrey a couple of years ago. I wasn't at, at the, this past one, but uh, so mm. I, I missed you. We missed each other in, in the crowd. But uh-huh. uh, um, you'll have to come back so I can buy you a drink. <laughs> That'd be great. Well, thank you so very much, Mark, and and, and hopefully all of our listeners will get a chance to enjoy uh, your commentary and um, get a lot out of it and hopefully put some uh, perspective on all of the work that you and your colleagues at the Restoration Team do. That's great. You're very welcome. I'm 
Paddy Kingsland, radiophonic workshop composer for Doctor Who and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Peter Howell, BBC radiophonic workshop composer for Doctor Who. I'm Roger Lim. I worked at the radiophonic workshop for many years and I was a composer on many Doctor Who stories. I'm Mark Ayers. Hi, this is Dominic Glynn, composer for Doctor Who in the 1980s. I'm Nick Briggs, the voice of the Daleks. I'm Simon Guerrier and I'm a writer. I'm Robert Shearman. I'm Toby Hayden. My name is Gary Russell. And you're listening to Adventures in Time, Space and Music on ATSM.philipwcerner.com. Yeah!